book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, and James starts out to the 12 tribes that are scattered, so also writing to Jewish believers. One of the earliest books that's written, and probably written because at that time most of the believers were Jewish, the Gentile um, great uh, harvest among Gentiles maybe is not going forward yet, but the book is about authentic faith. We're just going to look at the first eight verses today. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that you have not left us without direction. You've given us the Holy Spirit that we might understand your word and the strength to be obedient, Lord, through your grace. Lord, this morning, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, that I might communicate clearly your word, and that each one of us might be not just hearers of the word, but Lord, obedient, that we would take it in, the word of God would take root in our life and bring forth fruit that remains. In Jesus' name, amen. In John MacArthur's introduction to the book of James, he talks about counterfeiting. Counterfeiting is a major problem in our society. To be deceived by counterfeit money or counterfeit work of art results only in temporal loss. To be deceived by counterfeit faith results in eternal tragedy. You know, you might ask somebody, maybe a close friend or something, that you just see them, they, they said a prayer when they were younger, but they're just struggling all the time. They have no joy. You sense there's no desire for, for uh, the Word of God. And so you might ask them, do you know the Lord? And some people are very offended by that because they think it's a judgment call based upon what they can't see in your heart. And yet the Bible calls us to examine fruit. Remember we read in Hebrews, said, make sure no one comes short of the grace of God. And it's not just what they're doing, but is there a peace, is there a joy, is there a hunger? As a pastor, I come to the conclusion a long time ago, I don't want to lead somebody in a prayer of salvation. That's where you say these words after me. Some people say, well, what do I say? I say, well, if you're drowning, would you know how to say help? See, when a person really comes to the conclusion, when grace shows them their lost condition, they don't have any problem from the heart if it's the Lord leading them saying, Lord, save me, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because when I've done that in the past, you know, you were excited to see people come to Christ, so we want to help them too much. And so we hear, just say these words, and maybe they're not ready yet. There's no magic in the words. It's not like in Alabama in the 40 Thieves, just say open sesame. It just happens. It's not magic words. It's what God is doing in a heart. And so God gives us these blessed passages so that we might be secure in our faith. So we can examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. Satan and his servants deceive the unwary through false systems of religion, including false forms of Christianity. To be deceived about one's relationship to God is the most dangerous and frightening delusion possible. Remember, Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those are the the scariest words a human can ever hear. 
Does God know about everything? Yes, he knows about everything. He's talking about knowing as part of his family. I don't know you as part of my family. True salvation will be marked by genuine commitment to the word of God, by external righteous behavior that stems from internal righteousness of the heart, by proper worship, by a correct view of money and material possessions, and by right personal relationships. James was profoundly influenced by the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, you can even look at James as kind of a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount because the Sermon on the Mount, just like in the book of 1 John, Jesus wasn't teaching, do these things in order to be saved. He was saying, if you're a believer, if you belong to the Lord, these things are going to be growing in your life. God wants his children to be secure in his love so they can serve without any doubt. If you raise a child and all they are is afraid of failing all the time, and somehow I don't think most parents would communicate, but you communicate by your actions. You know, child, if you get good grades, I'll love you more. If you perform better and make first string, I'll love you more. A conditional love, we think that's how God loves us. It's not. You will not produce a secure, focused child. He'll always be afraid. That's not our father. Jesus was explaining to the disciples, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to you? He wants us to be secure in his love. He wants us to know that his love is not based upon our performance. And so he gives us these so that we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we belong to the Lord. How many people are satisfied? Well, I hope so. Well, I guess we'll find out when we die. That's too late. That's not God's program. God wants you to know. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, it's the last verse there in chapter 15, and Paul wrote that whole book on the resurrection. Remember there he said, if there is no resurrection, because some were preaching Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if there's no resurrection, then we're still in our sin, and we're of all people most miserable, because what are we doing all this for? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But he goes to that whole treatise on the resurrection about the rapture. And he says, Jesus has already been there to death. He's pulled out the sting. It's all done. So that we can say, hey, death, where's your sting? Hey, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends with this. Because if 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 our children are secure, they're better able to perform. If God's children are secure in his love, they can serve. He says, since you know this, be therefore steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So God wants his children to be secure. The title of this message is Truth for Trials. Five foundational principles for every test. When a young person goes in the military, they always go through basic first. It doesn't matter in the Army whether you're going to be a a clerk and a typist or you're going to go on to advanced infantry training and be a ranger someday. You all start with basic. All the services have basic. And that's so how you learn how to follow orders. Just do what you're told. Most children today are not raised in a home where they're just supposed to do what they're told. So it's kind of hard on them. 
I personally didn't have a hard time with the army because I was used to doing what I was told. It was easy. In fact, I was so used to doing what I was told one time we were getting ready to do so. I was just in the army for a couple weeks, and the captain walked in. He said, soldier, you go over there. And I just walked, started headed toward the wall. And he said, ah, oh, trainees. Hey, he's, he's, he's pointing, I'm walking. It's basic. And there's some basic principles we understand. Now, he's going to go through the book of James, and he's going to give us information so we'll know what the right response to a trial is. How, what's the right attitude to have about money and wealth? What's the right attitude to have about relationships? He talks about judging people. And he reminds us, hey, Jesus is watching what you're doing. So don't treat people differently based upon their income or based upon their lack of income. So he gives us the information, and we're going to be going through a lot of trials. But first he starts out and he says, here's five pillars that you're going to need five foundational principles for every test. Number one, verse one, is our new position in Christ. You see, before, you used to be the king. You thought you were. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that before we come to Christ, we're all servants of disobedience. We're servants of, of Satan. And you may not say, well, I wasn't that bad. doesn't matter how bad you were in practice. That's who you belong to. Until you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and purchase for him to be part of his family, you belong to Satan. Now, most people think they're free before they come to Christ, and so they're kind of king, and they, they do whatever they want. They do what they're comfortable with, but James writes here, and he says, James, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus, probably the next child that Mary had after Jesus. If you read in Mark chapter 3, I think it's verse 6 or 7, Jesus is ministering and comes to that one, in another gospel, he is ministering in his hometown. He changed hometowns from Nazareth down to Capernaum. And remember that story how there was so much crowd around his house, they had to break up the roof and let a, a crippled man down into the roof and he healed him. And when that was done, his... His family couldn't get in. They wanted to talk to him because they thought he's beside himself. See, James had grown up with Jesus. Probably nobody knew Jesus more than James except for maybe Mary. He was his brother. And while they thought he was unusual, I, they never thought he was God. And so they were going to try to pull him away from ministry because they didn't believe him. And they'd even talk Mary into coming down and talking him to, away from his ministry because they thought he was beside himself. Remember, they said, your mother and your brothers are waiting outside. And he said, who are my mothers and brothers except for those that do the will of God? In chapter 7 of John, his brothers kind of mock him and say, hey, you know, maybe you should go up to, if you're really who you say you are, maybe you should go up to Jerusalem, Feast of Tabernacles, and kind of do your stuff out there so your disciples can really believe and see all these things. And Jesus said, no, not yet. You go ahead. My time's not yet. And he went up later. And maybe the saddest commentary on being a brother of Jesus for James was that at the cross, he wasn't there. Dr. Bookman spoke to us at our men's ministry feast when he was here last time, and he, he pointed that out. I hadn't thought about that before. In John 19, Jesus is on the cross, and normally what happened when you were crucified, it took a long, long time. So even though it was a time of grief for a family, the family would show up so they could chase the crows away from pecking at your eyes and, 
and, and, and maybe the vultures from, from taking off flesh before you were dead. And be there. Just be there. I wonder if Jesus, with broken heart, looked out at the crowd thinking, well, my brother surely will come for this. And they weren't there. The only disciple that was there, the only one who was there was John. And so he looks down from the cross and he says, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And the Bible says from that day forward, John took Mary into his house and took care of him like he, like he was the son of Mary. Because James wasn't there. Because James didn't believe. James was king of his own life. He was a good Jewish boy. And he had time for the thoughts of his brother, his half-brother being the Messiah. But later there's some really good news. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul's talking about the proof of the resurrection at the very beginning, it says Jesus showed himself alive, and one of the people he showed himself to was James, his brother. And we believe that all of his brothers and sisters came to trust him as their own Lord and Savior, but it was after. It was after. Now, for you or me, we'd probably say, oh, by the way, I'm, you know, Jesus' brother. But he doesn't identify himself as that, does he? He says, I'm a bond slave. That's what servant is, do loss. I'm a slave. See, that's so helpful in seeing ourselves as servants when trials come, then we don't expect something different. We see trials as only punishment for bad things sometimes. But if we would see ourselves as a servant of the Most High God, then we just look for to do His bidding. The question would not come to our mind, why me? What, your, what, Lord, your servant heareth? So foundational to being victorious in trials is understanding who you are and who God is. In the film Rudy, I like football films. You may have picked that up. but In the film Rudy, Rudy is trying to figure out what he should be doing because he's tried and tried to go from the junior college in to get into Notre Dame. and So he's talking to his priest one day. He says, he just didn't understand what God's trying to do. And his priest says to him, well, one thing I figured out, Rudy. There is a God, and I am not him. But when we understand that God is God, and he is in control, he is a sovereign God, we can trust him in everything then we can be a little bit more peaceful about when the trial comes, about speak, Lord, for your servant hears. A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, verse 2, a new perspective. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Well, that's a different perspective. You mean... I'm supposed to be happy about trials. He didn't say happy. He said, consider it all joy. First of all, if you've been set free from sin, you belong to Jesus Christ, you have grace. Now, grace is the power and the desire to do the will of God. So Paul said in Romans chapter 5, this same subject, he said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? 
We have peace. He said, not just this. We glory also in trials because trials work patience, patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is spread abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit that's given unto us. We have hope for the trials. Now, hope isn't just happiness. That's circumstantial. Hope is understanding that whatever the trial happens, we have peace to go through to victory. That's a new, new perspective. You see, the world, they say, you need to insulate yourself from trials. And while I think it's good sense to make sure your kids get their inoculations and you eat a balanced diet and you do all those things they say, the world goes further and they say, what you need is security from any financial woes that will ever, ever happen. I mean, now we live in this catastrophic age and you can't look at a television without them talking about, you better have 30 years of food saved up and you better switch all your money to gold or else. Or else what? God tells you to do something, you do it. But here's the deal. Our security is not in our wealth. It's not in our barns with food. It's in Christ. He's our security. Over the years, fellows have come to me and said, you need to get involved, whether it's Amway or Shackley or these different things, because you can be financially independent. Independent from whom? See, my security is in Christ. And you can get all the money you want to, but the Bible says don't set your affection on money. Don't put your security in money because like an eagle, it'll just fly away. It'll be gone. Jesus said don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but your treasure's in heaven. Why? That's where your security is. We have a new perspective. Consider it all joy, my brethren. So that means that we have the ability, we have the grace when a trial comes, first of all, to recognize it's a trial. I learned a long time ago, somebody told me. You know, the Bible doesn't say never be angry. The Bible says be angry and sin not. So what does that mean? Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. So when all of a sudden your alarms go off that, hey, I don't like that. That makes me angry then you've got decisions to make. And here he says, you can actually make this decision about, hey, this is a trial. Recently, Chris and I were talking. I said, you know, this thing we're praying about, that's a trial, isn't it? You know, half the battle's over if we just say, hey, this is a trial. Because then as a believer, we know, well, let's pray. Let's see what the Lord wants us to do. Let's begin to see what God could develop out of this trial. See, Paul, speaking as a mature believer, got excited about even time in the gym. You know, an athlete is really becoming a mature athlete when he's not just excited about game time, but he loves practice too. He loves the time in the gym because he knows his development. Is it painful? Of course. Some runners will tell you they know they haven't even run good enough until they get sick. It's kind of their standard. But they're trying to push that endurance. What is endurance? The ability to withstand pain. When I was a strength coach, the freshmen would come in, the freshman boys, and you know, for most freshman boys, it becomes a big deal when they can finally push up 
two big plates on the bench press. That's 135 pounds without collar. So you got 45-pound plate on each side, 45-pound bar. And when you could finally do that, two big plates, kind of like, okay, I got the big plates now. Now, later, when that same young man is a senior, he comes in, and I said, can you do one big plate? He'd laugh at me. Well, of course I can do it. That's not a big deal. That's not a trial anymore. It's not a hard thing. Some, some would come in, and they would see big old Yancey Brown pushing 300 pounds in the bench press, and they're a freshman. I'll never do that. Well, maybe not. That's not the point. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says we're not to live our lives by comparison. As a coach, I wasn't worried that everybody, how much they will ever do, but they got stronger, that they were better fit. Because we had some big old linemen, they had a different job than our quarterbacks, right? In track, we had kids that threw the shot put. They had a different responsibility than sprinters or long-distance runners. But a real athlete loves to train. And we can mature, we can be like the Apostle Paul and say, all right, Lord, we know you're going to see us through. And a mature Christian begins to understand that in that trial, they can begin to anticipate when God will show up. Sometimes there's serious, serious trials. It's no laughing matter. It's not just angry. It brings fear. And you know that God's going to have to rescue. But that's our hope. When God shows up, and you know from past experience with deep trials that you have never felt closer to the Lord than in that midst of that deep trial. And that's when you really experience that he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And later you get to that trial and you have victory, and what does it become? It becomes a testimony of the love of God, of his presence that he showed up, he provided, he protected, he led you through the trial. But before we get mature, we have to understand, okay, this is a trial. That's the first thing. Recognize when the alarms go out, okay, Lord, this is a trial. You begin to pray, and then you make a decision. So, Lord, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to count this all joy. You may not feel it. It's like in everything, give thanks, but you make the decision, all right, we're going to look for the Lord in this trial. Thirdly, he gives you a new desire. You have a new desire as a believer. When you were king, when you sat on the throne of your life, it was to please you. Now you have a whole new desire. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we have that desire to please the one who enlisted us as a soldier. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, whether we're absent from the body and present with the Lord for eternity or we're still here in this body and we're separated from heaven, we have this one principle to be pleasing to Him. So what pleases the Lord? That we're equipped for every good work. Verse 3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Again, it reminds me of those young athletes that come in as freshmen, and they're skinny little guys, and they're not there yet. And then you see those same guys when they're 20, 22 years old, and what's the difference? Wow, they're filled out. In fact, I don't know how many I've gone to them and said, man, why couldn't you get big when you're a senior? Just the way things are. God wants us to be filled out, to be strong for every good work. And we know that this testing gives us that ability 
to be strong and to be equipped so the next time you come to that trial, you have the faith to say, well, God brought us through last time. We'll get through this. And to come alongside other people that are going through a trial and just blowing them away, and you're able to come alongside, no, this is not a big deal. I'm going to walk through this with you. I'm going to help you bear this burden. We're going to get through this. This is not going to blow us away. The Lord is here because you've been there before. Paul talks about some of the trials he went through and how God developed him in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, But in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in inflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, and I love this, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness so that the man of God might be adequate, fully furnished for every good work. God is training us. We don't know what's coming. But God is preparing us, weapons of righteousness for the left hand and for the right. So when the enemy of death comes, when the enemy of trial comes, and Paul listed all those out. That's a pretty complete list of things that Paul went through and that a Christian could go through. He wants us equipped for that so we can finish and hear well done. Verse 5, we have a new resource. You're not alone anymore. Growing up, you may have heard, well, you got to help yourself. Can't depend on anybody else. You got to do this because a father or a coach was trying to teach you to make decisions. And, you know, you have to learn how to make decisions, but here's the deal you have a resource. When you come to a trial, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, wisdom is skill. And as we're going on the battlefield, you get skilled. Now, when I was in basic training and AIT, the guys I really paid attention to were the guys that just came home from Vietnam. And they gave us different information than the guys that had just been drill sergeants without going into battle. They told us, hey, listen, fellas, in Vietnam, you're not going to need your sights because everybody shoot at is going to be right in your face. That was probably good to know. Those guys that had battle experience, we want to listen to. And you may not understand it now, the very trial you're I'll tell people, whether it's a marriage trial or they're really under the low with some trial, I said, listen, one day, you just stick with us, you just endure And one day, you're going to be counseling with another young couple. And they're going to look at you because they're going to think, well, you've never had trials. Nobody gets to maturity without trials. Nobody. And you're going to say, well, let me tell you my story. 
And let me show you the path of God's word that God led me down that I might have victory. Let me take you to the verses that gave me strength, that gave me the power to be able to just hold on for one more day, to trust him, to, re- to, to rely on him during this very hard time when I couldn't see and all I could do was stand. And I say, really? You've been through something like that? You say, yeah, but I didn't go alone. But see, the problem is, so often we're in a trial, we want God to just pull us out of the trial. The Bible gives us instruction. We'll get there eventually, Lord willing. In James 5, are there any sick? The Bible says, let them call for the elders of the church. And the elders of the church will anoint them with oil and pray over them, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. If there's any sin, it will be forgiven them. So people will come. That's an act of faith. I know it is. It's obedience to the word. And I know it's scary. For some reason in our flesh, we think if we keep it to ourselves, it's not as bad. So the doctor says you have cancer. You say, well, if nobody knows, I'll be safer. No, that's not true, is it? Cancer is cancer. And so the Bible says you call for the elders of the church. You come to the church and you say, hey, pastor, could you have the fellows pray over me? And we say, well, we'd love to do that. And we don't give assignments who's going to pray each time. We're led of the Spirit. But you know, every time somebody prays, somebody will pray, Lord, we know that you're the great physician, and we name what it is that our brother or sister has, and we know you can heal them. And so we ask you to heal them in Jesus' name, because that's what the Bible says. And inevitably, somebody else will pray, but Lord, whatever you do, glorify your name in this trial. Give them the strength that they will reflect your glory, even in this trial, because we know That's when people ask about faith. It's not when everything's going smooth. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, In that time, in the trials, be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. Because that's when they want to know what you have because you have such tremendous peace and security in the midst of this very troubled time. And they'll want to know then. So somebody will pray, Lord, just glorify your name. That's, That's the highest goal for any believer, to glorify the Lord's name. And then somebody else will pray, Lord, if there's some sin, or reveal it to them. What a precious experience a couple, about a month or so ago, I'm walking through a trial with my brother. And we're all scared. And we're praying together. And then the next three days, my brother comes to me and says, Paul, this has been such an amazing trial. God just keeps peeling back the layers of my flesh and saying, hey, you need to deal with this, and you need to deal with this, and you need to deal with this. What is that? That's the joy in the trial. Because you can see God working and building you and strengthening you. So the next time he comes in, he says, let's put some bar benders on there. Put three plates on there. And spirits, you can say, that's no problem, Lord, because this is your strength. You have a new resource. Wisdom just means skill for living. Where do we get the skill? Well, the knowledge is right here in the Word of God. And it's so important that you memorize the Word of God. You see, Satan's going to try to bump you off your path. And the writer of Psalms says in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, how can a young man have a straight path? He doesn't get bumped. He doesn't swerve a lot. He just has a straight path following the Lord by taking heed according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Now, when you're a brand new believer, you don't know the word a lot, then, then you go to the pastor, you go to an elder, you go to a teacher, you go to your friend who knows the Lord for a long time. You say, where's this found in the Bible? But when you find it, I encourage you, memorize it because you'll need it again. And you need to be able to just reach in and pull out that weapon 
And you'll give some for the Holy Spirit to use in your life to remind you. No matter how deep the trial, what a great source of courage it is. Romans 8, 28. For we know that God causes all things, even this trial, to work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And I'll tell you, when you read the Scripture, even when you're afraid, there's something so calming about it. Why? Because His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you belong to Him. And so we need wisdom. We say, well, I don't know how to get through this trial. And you go to the Word of God, and then you have to practice it. There's a difference between practice experience and game experience, isn't there? Just a difference. Just like those fellows that have actually been on the front lines in combat. They have different experience. They have better things to teach than those that have just taught the theory of how to operate on the front lines. You're not alone. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot be sympathized with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, draw near to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. God doesn't expect you to handle it alone. You have Him. That's the resource. So that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. To know the Word of God, those truths that when put to use later, you can say, listen, this is the path that God led me down. You need to get this verse. You remember this verse. And lastly, number five, a new courage so that you can be a victor and not a victim. Verses six through eight. But when we ask for wisdom... He must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like a surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What is he talking about? That's somebody that just wants the trial to stop. They just want the pain to be over. And they're not looking for what God might be looking for in their life. They're not trying to develop as a warrior. They're not trying to be successful in the trial, and so they quit. Lord, fix my wife or I'm going to divorce her. Lord, fix my husband or I'm going to divorce him. And their talk often goes like this. Well, nobody's ever been through what I'm going through. Therefore, I can quit. Well, you don't know my boss. Well, you don't know my circumstance. And so they get on the quit. And Christians that are Christian lights like to throw spiritual things, oh, well, pray for me, but they know they're going to quit. They're on the quit. And they just want to, they send out some smoke signals of what they're going to do, and you say, but the Bible says this, and they oh, no, I'm going to quit. And then if you don't go along with it, then, then you're the enemy. And what happens? When it all falls apart, we still come alongside to build them up, but they didn't have to do that if they'd have just stuck with it. A new courage. Where does the courage come from? It comes from the desire to ask in faith, God, what do you want out of this trial? It's focus. It's a desire for God's best, 
even we can't see how we can even make it through. We said, well, God would never change that person. Well, if, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to have to quit. Otherwise, this will happen, and we begin prophets, become prophets. We're all going to turn out like this. Remember when the children of Israel got out there? They finally got free from slavery, and God brought a wall of protection between them and the armies of Egypt, and they still turned on Moses and said, you just brought us out here to kill us. That's our natural way of when we get in trouble, we, we you know, we, we make the past like it was wonderful. We should have just stayed in Egypt because it was wonderful back there. And we're all going to die, and it's your fault. Pastor Hutchinson says, we exaggerate the past, we exaggerate the future, and we blame the leadership. So what did Moses do? He just said, stand still. You're going to see God's salvation. If they would have quit and gone back, they never would have seen God open the Red Sea and walk through on dry ground. Romans chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. Those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? A little further in the same chapter, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword... And they could quote the Old Testament, just as it's written. We're like sheep for the slaughter. We're just out here to, to die for you, Lord. That's an attitude you can have, I guess. I wouldn't say that's a victorious attitude. Well, Lord, just go ahead and slay us. You're, we're your sheep. Paul said, no, no, no. In all these things, in the sword and the persecution and the nakedness and the peril and the danger, we overwhelmingly conquer the word in Greek is hypernico. It just translates super Nike. We are super Nike through Jesus Christ who loved us. You see, that, that's the team that's down, the football team that's down. It's like three seconds left. They got one tick of the clock left, and they're down on the 10-yard line, and they got to get a touchdown, and, just, just, and people say it just can't happen. It just can't happen. I've told you before, one of the greatest coachings I've ever seen happen in Laramie was Coach Nichols, coaching the ninth graders. David was on that team. And they had, a, they had a slugfest with Fort Collins. And Fort Collins had a good team. And in the slugfest, it was back and forth, back and forth. And then Fort Collins, they scored. There's only about a minute left to go. And every one of those kids, I watched Coach Nichols, they walked over to the sidelines like this. It was over. And Coach just said, we didn't chew him out. He said, hey, fellas. Lift your heads up. We got a minute left. We can still win this thing. And you know what? That coach challenged them, inspired them. They won the game. A couple of runs, passed to Katie, Casey Adams, and he dramatically fell in the end zone for the win. See, that's coaching. But that's the Holy Spirit that says, hey, the world says it's over. They say there's no hope for you. But the last page is not written yet. You have the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, listen, in all those things, 
we overwhelmingly conquer. We can be super Nike through Jesus Christ who loved us. So he comes to the end and he said, by all those trials, what, is it, what does it convince me? All those things, the nakedness, the peril, the danger, the sword, the imprisonments, the beatings. What did Paul learn? Nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not any created thing. Not, not any supernatural power. No angel of darkness can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, he said, We are of good courage, and I say I prefer rather to be out from the body and be home with the Lord. We have this new courage. As you grow as a believer, and you're really walking with the Lord, when you come to the end of your life, there's no fear, only anticipation. Because you see, if your idea of heaven is streets of gold and the beauty and your friends and your family, it doesn't include Jesus you need to check out whether you're really saved. Because for the believer that's walking with the Lord, all he thinks about is one day I get to see Jesus face to face. Face to face. And that's when we have that desire, then we have our ambition to be pleasing in Him. So sometimes it helps. You're in a trial and you say, what's the worst thing that could happen here? What is the absolute worst thing that could happen? Well, death. Just go right to death. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 116, 15, how precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. And if we know, we have the, the information, if we're absent the body, we're present with the Lord. Wow. See, when our loved ones die and they know the Lord, we sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. Why? Because we know they're safe in the arms of Jesus. And once they're there, they don't want to come back here. They don't want to come back here. And that gives us peace, doesn't it? As much as we miss our loved ones, we have peace. They know the Lord. They're there. They don't want to come back here. They've made it. And even if you're Stephen and the youth of life, he had the glory of being stoned to death. And before he fell asleep, he looked up to heaven and he told us what he saw. He said, I see Jesus standing. Why was Jesus standing? He was standing to welcome Stephen home. Welcome home. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, be pleasing to him, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the opportunity to win crowns of glory that you have something in worship to cast at the feet of Jesus. To say, it wasn't me, Lord Jesus, it was you. And I just want to worship you. Father, we thank you that you've given us instruction, that you've given us a foundation that we belong to you. We are your servants. That it pleased the Father that crushed the Son that we might be redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And we belong to you. We have a purpose to serve you with all of our lives. No matter what our occupation, we have the profession of being a servant of Jesus Christ. That we have a new perspective on trials. And that is the opportunity to win glory. 
that we have a new resource, our God that we can go to anytime, anytime. And Lord, we have this opportunity to hear well done. Lord, challenge us, each one, to take hold of our giftedness, our opportunities in our time and our place to be found faithful that we might hear well done and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.